Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 372 with Karen Wickery. Karen is talking about how to take the work out of networking, so you'll learn one, a pro tip for how to build your network despite social anxiety, two, how to farm for contacts instead of hunting for them, and three, the strength of weak ties. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F372. While you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some of our cool resources. One cool resource is the Gold Nugget email list. If you sign up for that, you get access to summary insights. It takes two to four minutes to read the wisdom a guest has to share from a full episode all the faster. So you can get that to your inbox or reference it online forever from Karen and the 371 guests who preceded her and the many to follow her. That's called the Gold Nuggets over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Karen's story. Karen Wickery is the former editorial director at Twitter, where she landed after a decade-long career at Google. She's a member of the Board of Visitors for the John S. Knight Journalism Fellowships at Stanford University and serves on the boards of the International Center for Journalists, the News Literacy Project, and the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts. She's been a featured columnist for Wired.com and is a co-founder of Newsgeist, an annual gathering conference fostering new approaches to news information. She's the author of Taking the Work Out of Networking, and lives in San Francisco. Big thanks to Karen for sharing her wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Karen. Karen, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Oh, thanks, Pete. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, I've been looking forward to this as well. I'd like to start by hearing the tale. I understand that you attended the first concert of the Beatles in the U.S. What's the whole story here? Well, the whole story is I'm old enough to have attended the first concert of the Beatles in the U.S. in February 1964. It is true. I'm, I'm a, I guess, a classic baby boomer. And I lived in Washington, D.C. That's where I grew up. The Washington concert was, strangely enough, their first U.S. concert. Then they went to New York. Then they went to Miami. No kidding. So I was already a Beatles nut. Uh, and by the time they arrived here, I was getting British magazines and all the rest. So my poor dad drove a couple of us down into the city to this concert, which I now know was, you know, probably 40 minutes long. Uh, and he <laughs> waited for us. And so I don't remember really hearing anything of the songs, uh, cause there was a lot of screaming to which I contributed. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. And was this your first concert? I think it was. I'm sure it was because, you know, I was, what, 12 or 13. I mean, kids in those days didn't really just go off to concerts. I did later in high school, but this was earlier. That's cool. So plenty of screaming, a moment in history, and you were there. I was there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm still here. (laughs) And you remain. Well done. Well, so now let's hear about your upcoming book. Will this also make history? It's called Taking the Work Out of Networking. What is the main idea here? The main idea is is maybe hidden in the subtitle, which is um, an introvert's guide to making connections that count. And uh, I don't know about making history because, frankly, I think it's full of a lot of common sense, which isn't often historical <laughs> when we look back. But the idea came to me for a couple of reasons. One, I have lived and worked uh, in Silicon Valley in San Francisco for over 30 years 
And I've worked in technology businesses uh, for all of that time. So I'm used to the, the ecosystem of that, which helped me kind of understand that your connections are part of your currency professionally uh, in a place that's as fluid and fast moving as Silicon Valley. Today, it's certainly not the only place that is that way. But what I noticed is I do have a, a sort of a wonderful world of contacts of all kinds who I feel I can always turn to for any number of questions or needs I might have. And so can other people. And I've noticed over time that, you know, my way of staying in touch with people is almost all online, almost all digital. And I, when in talking to other people, uh, many have told me whether they're introverts or not. Um, I hate networking. I hate the idea of it. It seems, you know, phony and awkward. But, you know, I, so, so can you help me, you know, introduce me to so-and-so? And of course, I always say yes. But uh, I don't have to be the only one who, who kind of has this ability. So I tried to document kind of all the ways that people can make better, more useful and meaningful connections than trading the old business card while you're looking past the other person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so I'd love to get your take on a couple of those approaches in a moment. But first, let's dig into that subtitle a little bit. You talk about connections that count. Could you maybe paint a clear picture for us in terms of what does it look like when you've made a connection that counts versus the alternative? Right. One that doesn't count. Yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, to me, uh, if you dig a little more deeply uh, into someone's uh, background and history and what they're currently doing beyond the small talk of, you know, what do you do? Where do you work? Here's my card. Can I be in touch? If you get a little deeper than transactional, you find um, much more uh, sort of a richer person, a fuller person there who may become a good friend, who may become a valuable business contact. But you don't know that if you're just doing the transactional thing. So I encourage, you know, more uh, sort of conversational exchanges, more drawing out, being curious about the other person beyond that immediate identified work, job title, whatever it is. And those to me, they can happen in person, but also can happen with like a video chat. I have contacts I keep up with that way. Uh, We have sort of virtual coffee. Mm -hmm. To me, it's not any particular skill set or field. It's just you, you feel like you know them a little better and vice versa. I see. Well, can you share a little bit in terms of some of the questions that you're proposing or the key things that you find yourself saying often in conversations with new people that bring about some of that curiosity and that opening up and that sharing? Yeah. Well, uh, for me, here's here's where we play a little bit on the introvert part of this. Um, I realized a few years ago something that had always been true for me. I've, I've kind of throughout life made a game of getting other people to talk first. Oh, and I and I think that as a kid, I think I wanted some sort of reassurance that I could trust them, right, or I could feel good around them, or I, you know, was willing to reveal a little bit more about myself. Uh, because introverts typically hold back. Frankly, it works wonderfully to ask other people questions and and get them going conversationally. Uh, for the purposes of making a better connection, right? For for the purposes of, you know, hearing and understanding more about someone else. So 
questions to me to ask are uh, not yes, no questions, but, you know, tell me a story questions. Uh, you know, how do you, are you enjoying the conference? What brought you here today? If, it, if it's that kind of meeting, uh, how did you get into your line of work? How do you like company X? Do you enjoy this location? Are you thinking about somewhere else? Things like that, that are sort of openers where people generally they're safe enough uh, to feel in, inclined to answer. They're not terribly personal, but they're personal enough. And then you obviously at some point have to take your turn and jump in, but you know, you have a little more information there to sort of give context to the conversation. So those kind of questions, depending on how you read a person, I mean, you, there may be times to get a little more personal if they're wearing a, you know, a team t-shirt and you know something about that team or they have wild eyeglasses on and you like those. I mean, there are ways to make people feel at ease and make them feel noticed and heard. And you can do that by sort of making note of the fact that you're you're paying attention to the other person and, and with these kind of cues. Mm-hmm. Intriguing. So it's just that simple in terms of like, hey, I noticed that you've got some cool glasses. Where'd you get them? Yeah. There you go. And say, well, I got them at phoneticeyewear.com <laughs> or whatever. That's a little more fun than sort of even at a conference, right? Where do you work? What do you do there? You know, that's okay. Those are informational questions too, but sometimes it's nice. It depends kind of how you can read the person. And, and my theory is that um, introverts are more observant of other people uh, and more, perhaps more curious because we're people watching and we're kind of wanting to see other people kind of play out a little bit before we commit too much <laughs> to speaking. <laughs> and maybe you can help out as extroverts in terms of just going through numerous things that you can notice that maybe you might overlook. So if we talk about maybe glasses or apparel, let it rip, maybe just to kind of reflecting back to the last few times you met some new people and the things you noticed and struck up conversations about. Yeah. I'll make a caveat. This is a little bit outside of, say, a job interview, okay. which okay. I do talk about in the book. And there are ways to do that too, but that takes a little more caution. Any other setting, I mean, I have commented to people about their shoes or their bag or how do they like, if not their phone, because there are precious few options there. Do they have any favorite apps? Uh, their carrying case for the phone. If they look like they're deep into technology, you know, what are they like best? How, how are they liking that new app or something? But sometimes it is, you know, sort of those are great shoes. Those are great glasses. Someone with uh, fantastically dyed hair, I think, is mm. someone who wants some attention for that. So I think it's okay to say, I love your purple hair. But to leave it sort of friendly and not too probing, you know, but as a sort of a positive, you know, I'm paying attention to you and I like what I see is the idea. And I'm curious, you know, you may want to tell me all about the purple hair or you may not. That's okay. We'll move on to, you know, your favorite apps. Uh Okay, cool. Well, so I'd love to get your take then for those who are experiencing some social anxiety, whether it's all the time or just under certain contexts and scenarios. What are some of your pro tips for managing that and trying to be confident and calm and engage well? Yeah, well, I'm a big believer in one-to-one exchanges as opposed to a group. If, if I do go to a, kind of a group uh, party, I may be the one uh, in the corner, you know, deep in conversation with one person for the bulk of the evening. Because a good conversation to me is, is 
kind of the whole the whole Megillah, where uh, someone else may want to make the rounds and sort of hop from one one to another. If I like the conversation, I I, I may want to stick with it. So I think you can just come away with a good feeling from a one-to-one exchange. And it might be as simple as starting with people you're somewhat familiar with as opposed to strangers. So you may have work colleagues who you don't directly work with or uh, you don't see that often, uh, but you're, you know, they seem interesting or they do, they're in a team that you'd like to know more about, or you want to understand what their work is, have coffee with them. I actually kind of repeat a saying in my book a few times, which is, it's just coffee which is to say it's not an interrogation or a job interview or something scary. But one-to-one, um, you begin to you know, feel confident, even if you're in a room then of mostly strangers, but here's this one person you kind of know. Uh, that's a good thing. But the other thing is to not start with, uh, I don't know those, these mythical people out there who are strangers to me who have answers to all my problems, but instead I've always liked that the contractor in our office. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I, you know, get to know them a little bit better or, or a vendor or the summer intern, you know, or you're the summer intern and you want to get to know, uh, you know, someone in an interesting role. So start with people who are familiar ish to you and break that down into sort of these one-to-one conversations. And and then you have, you build up new contacts uh, and you have them among people that you consider, uh, safer, perhaps, or less daunting. Okay. Well, so we dug into a bit of the how, and maybe we should, you know, zoom out a touch for the why. You know, I think yeah. some folks would say, you know, I just don't like networking and then I don't need to network. And so I'm not going to network. Yep. <laughs> What's your response to that? You've referred to networking as a necessary evil. What makes it necessary? What makes it evil? Well, the idea of this networking where you're conducting transactions or hoping to I think that's how people think of that word networking even. I think they think it's it's trying to get something when I when I, you know, I need a lead for a job or uh you know, I'm forced to go to this thing by work or what or you know, it's a conference or something and I have to do this meaningless small talk and trade business cards uh or worse yet, I'm uh, desperate for a job and I really I, I I have to go through these motions. That's what seems both necessary and evil, I think, to people. Mm -hmm. But it it doesn't have to be that way if you are constantly maintaining the contacts you do have and continuing to extend them. The reason why this is important are, there are a few reasons, actually. One is that um, more of us are going to work longer, and that is going to be in more jobs. The days of having a single job for your career are long past. So you're going to be going into new fields. You might be changing uh, direction. Uh, You might be moving to a new area. You're going to need to continue to make uh, connections for yourself over over time. Similarly, uh, younger people are uh, taking more jobs from the get-go. One study I saw said that, you know, newish college grads have five jobs within the first five years of their getting out of school. Uh, we're all familiar with the gig economy. There are more people uh, doing independent work, piecing together contracting and project work and uh, freelance, uh, this and that. That all requires more contacts to keep the pipeline going. And in addition, I mean, Americans actually move around geographically uh, more than 10 times as adults on, on average. So 
there's a lot of reasons that we need to continue to have um, uh, new contacts and be able to reach out to new people for with questions and, and our needs. And we all have that need, by the way. We all have turns where we need to do this. So it's not like everyone else has it all sewn up and I'm the only one that, that you know, needs to meet someone new to get some new ideas. Everyone needs to. And uh, I've, I've only met one person in my travels who admitted to me she had a nice, secure job for eight or nine years. And when I met her, she said, I realize I want to look for another job. It's time for me to move on. And I've let my network go because I've been in my pleasant, comfortable job. Well, guess what? Now she had to, you know, sort of create a new network of contacts to reach out to for her for her search. So uh, rather than scrambling at that point, better that you just have people to turn to all the time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so we got the necessary. We got the evil. So let's talk a little bit about the oh, but I'm just scared or oh, that's so uncomfortable. It's just not me. You know, how do you reframe that as such that maybe it can be all the more manageable and approachable? Well, as we were saying before, as we were talking about before, the idea that you actually know more people than you think you know and uh, start with familiar people. It's, it's Don't make it a faceless mass out there. Think about, you know, uh, let's say you're interested in moving on from your current company and you want to sort of move up with the next role. So you know the kind of company or you know the specific company. Uh, it's quite possible you might know someone who works there or is in a similar role. How did they get there? Um, this is the sort of thing LinkedIn obviously was designed for and is useful for, but there are other ways in addition. So it's really just sort of getting away from the general scariness to the specific let me talk to this person and let me talk to that person. You know, just as you would not maybe want one opinion from one doctor, it's sort of like get, get second opinions from other people who have uh, different experiences and can help you along the way. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to make it more or less scary than that other than to say one-to-one -one coffees and one-to-one, -one, you know, sort of email and phone call exchanges uh, are pretty are, are pretty safe compared to that scary mass of strangers. Mm -hmm. Well, I also want to get a little bit of your take. We talk about coffees. That's making me think about Keith Ferrazzi's book, Never Eat Alone, and his kind of mentality. Yeah. Kind of just going for it all the time. How do you think about that premise of never eating alone and just really going after network building with gusto? <laughs> Or, or a vengeance. Or if you will. <laughs> your words, not mine. <laughs> well, I have to say, uh, I feel like I'm at the other end of this than Keith. I mean, I, I know uh, his his work and his energy I'm, I'm uh, impressed by, but I want to have meals alone sometimes. <laughs> I don't want to be talking to people all the time. And uh, again, for me, if the game is not building a network so that there's more contacts in it. The, the, the game for me uh, really is making the connections between people. And, and that is what I, what, that's what I do naturally. That's what I like to do. For people who don't necessarily want to be the connector, it's simply having more resources to draw on and to give back to, because as I say, this is all sort of uh, mutual and, and reciprocal over time. And, and so it's very cumulative. There, there's a quote I like very much that I came across when I was writing the book, uh, which is uh, from a guy named Ivan Meisner. Oh, we've had him on the show. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so Mr. Business Network International, right? Mm -hmm. And his, his line that is so great is networking is more like farming than it is like hunting. Right. And what I love about that, even though he uses the networking word instead of connecting, um, it really is true if you think of farming or gardening, either one. You know, you're, you're planting, you're weeding, you're replanting, you're nurturing throughout, you know, the, the bad weather as well as harvesting and the good weather, all that kind of stuff, as opposed to hunting, which is really transactional when you think about it. You're going in for the kill and you kill or you fail, but, you know, that's it. And so I, I find thinking about it that way, that really gets my point across, is it's more like the cyclical kind of long-term, long-game process of, of farming or gardening. Mm -hmm. Okay. I dig it. And I also want to get your take on, you've got a fun turn of a phrase that you suggest we embrace our quiet side. What does that look like in practice? <laughs> well, I think for those who aren't glad handers and don't want to work the room and don't want to go out there, as I say, I, I mean, I probably spend, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes maybe in the morning when I'm first sort of warming up for, for the day. I read the news. I'm, I'm kind of a news junkie and I, I follow lots of things. And so I, but someone will come to mind when I'll see one, one story or another. If I know, uh, I, as just happened, you know, a Red Sox fan and I find some quirky story about their recent um, World Series win, I just send off the link to my friend and say, hey, thinking of you, like, enjoy this. And I do that probably 10 or 15 times to people I know well, uh, old friends, people I don't know as well where I, I see something of interest that just makes me think of them, or I might have a specific question, but that's like 20, 30 minutes in the morning. That is sort of my outreach for the day, maybe. And people come back in their own time. It's very uh, asynchronous, but we've had a moment of uh, being top of mind for each other in that. And that, that actually is maintaining your, your connections. That's maintaining your network right there. So that's why I say you can do so much behind the screen as opposed to having to go to events and having to make small talk. Mm -hmm. Understood. Well, tell me, Karen, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? <laughs> Let me think. The only other thing I'd say, and I do have a chapter in the book about this, is, is the power of um, weak ties. And weak ties are people you know less well and often are the ones who, especially in a professional or in a job context, may be the, the key to unlocking an, an opportunity for you. This is, this is why I encourage people to think more broadly about who they know. And this, it could be a colleague they've had, they, they had 15, 10 or 15 years ago, they haven't been in touch with. And it turns out when you say, oh, I'm interested, you know, I'm glad to be back in touch. And the reason I'm when I just want to tell you what I'm up to, I'm doing this and I'm looking to do this. And they say, oh, my God, you know, my next door neighbor, my best friend is so and so. I'll introduce you. You wouldn't know that unless you had made that sort of friendly, agendaless contact with a weak tie. Right. Or, or even a stranger. So I just I, I guess I can't say enough. People people should think broadly about who they know and not be afraid to reach out in a way that is kind of friendly and open and uh, we, you know, with a specific need if you have it. All right. Very good. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Gosh, you know, I'm such a quote uh, fan. I, I love this one from 
Susan Cain, who of course wrote Quiet, which is the Bible uh, <laughs> uh, for introverts that came out in 2012. So much work has come come out of that. But she says something like, some people require the bright lights of Broadway and others, you know, thrive uh, at the lamplit desk. I love that because not only does it sort of encompass these different styles, but it's like, it's okay to be either, right? It's okay uh, and, and fine. And, and there's, a, there's an equality to, if you must have the Broadway lights, perhaps that's Keith Frazzi, <laughs> or you thrive in a different way. And both are fine and all points in between. And I, I really think that's a, to me, is a sort of broader idea than just uh, for introverts and extroverts. I think it's a, it's a good way to think about living and, and other people. All right. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? Well, at the risk of repeating myself, when I looked into this idea about your weak ties, it all goes back to one Stanford sociologist in the 1970s who made a study of people who were then looking for jobs. And remember, they didn't have digital means uh, for looking and uh, scouting. It was all sort of human face-to-face. And he, the the experiment that he set up had to do with uh, where, where people got the best leads for the jobs they had. And they came from this, this characteristic, uh, this group of people he called weak ties. And I just thought, for, for, especially for going back to, I think it's 73 is when he published the study. It, it's so interesting to think about how that, um, first of all, how it's resonated in all the years since and been uh, cited for all kinds of things, but also how it was conducted then and how he found out that, you know, people in fact did get the best job leads and uh, the best opportunities and landed them through people they knew less well. And uh, since I live, we live in a digital age where we do so much outreach to people we don't know well online, I'd love that that study has had legs. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Favorite book. I'm so torn on this because (laughs) I'm still uh, attached to print and I have so many at home. I think uh, one that I have liked very much recently is called, um, it's by Olivia Lang. It's called The Lonely City. And it's a little bit of a memoir and a little bit of a sort of meditation on uh, the being alone in a city and all the feelings that come up as you uh, walk around and explore it. And I'm a bit of a city walker myself. And I, I, I've just been, it, it takes me to another place than, than the workday does. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite tool? If you could see my phone, immediately I go to the phone as, a, as opposed to my hardware drawer. I think for me... Uh, something like WhatsApp provides a, a lot of interesting utility when I travel overseas. As you know, it's not as, as hardly used in the U.S., but it has given me such utility in places where everyone uses it and where it's very easy to either talk you know, by voice or, or text people and reach them instantly. I, I'm, I'd never heard about it until Facebook bought it, and uh, I... I use it with my non-U.S. friends, and it's an intriguing it's an intriguing tool I wouldn't have thought of. Mm-hmm. And a favorite habit. Favorite habit. Now I must ask you how you define habit. Oh, it's something that you do regularly that helps you to be awesome at your job. The common answers include exercise, meditation, visualization. Those are the ones that come up frequently. Reading, journaling, but uh, yeah, sometimes it gets super specific. So it's always fun to learn. 
Well, for me, it is art museums. It, whatever city I'm in, I make an effort to go to an art museum. In some cities, I always go to my favorites. And I don't, sometimes I'll look at a big show, but other times I want to be uh, through the quiet rooms that are not crowded uh, or go at an off time and just stop and look and uh, see, see what grabs me, see what speaks to me. And I find that very restorative. Mm-hmm. And tell me, when you're teaching this stuff, is there a particular nugget, a thing that you share that seems to connect and get retweeted and sort of frequently mentioned back to you? I'm just at the start of talking about this in relation to the book. And so I would say, I don't know if I have a full set yet, but one thing that people seem to pick up on in in the book, I talk about there is a value to small talk. And I'm not by nature a small talk fan, but when I talk about the utility of it for sort of breaking the ice and making people feel comfortable and included, a little bit what I said here earlier about conversation starters, um, people seem taken by that because uh, here again, I think we all say we don't like small talk, but in fact, there are times that it's of great value. Mm-hmm. And if folks want to learn more and get in touch, where would you point them? I'm very active on Twitter. <laughs> I guess that's the first place. So, uh, and my handle is uh, KVOX, V-O-X, V as in Victor, KVOX. Um, I have a, my own website, which is just my name, KarenWickery.com. And then, of course, there's uh, the book itself, which is available in all the all the usual spots where uh, where books are sold or will be on November 27th. All right. And do you have a favorite call to action you'd issue to folks here seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I would say curiosity. Being curious about, and, and it's sometimes a hard thing to fight against the routine and the tasks in front of you and the silos that we're often in. I would say, you know, fight that to the extent you can to be curious. How did something get to be that way? Why are we doing it this way? Um, you know, is what are people doing in other, you know, in other teams? What, what else is going on that I don't know about around the company? Um, that can, that can really, you know, uh, benefit your current job, but also kind of shake up your thinking and, and make, make the whole scene a lot richer for you. Beautiful. Well, Karen, thanks so much for taking this time. I wish you tons of luck with the book and all you're up to. Oh, thank you so much, Pete. I enjoyed it. I really appreciated Karen's take on how networking is more like farming instead of hunting. And I think that metaphor is helpful in so many regards. One, just most directly, hey, it's not about shooting a gun or pulling a bow and launching an arrow at an animal in order to be fed, to receive what it is you need, but rather you're cultivating it gradually and over time and then you're served. And I think it's more of just a peaceful image as well in terms of, okay, this isn't so stressful. It's not so high stakes. It's not like that animal's going to ram me or run away. It's just plants. They're going to grow naturally as long as I give them some regular attention. So I think that's wise and helpful to just think about, hmm, are there any plants that you need to give a little bit of a watering to that you've maybe let get a little bit droopy that could use some of your attention? I could go way too far with this metaphor. But you get the idea. I dug that. Hope you did as well. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep372. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push the subscribe button. You'll hear from our next guest. It is Weldon Long. He says that sales saved his life. You'll hear some inspiration for how he reset his mindset to get him out of a prison and crime and onto a very successful path, as well as some persuasion pointers that we can tap into from his lived experience. Hope to catch you there.
Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 